0: Thank you for joining us at Luminous Church. And this morning, we hope that you see Jesus clearly. When I was
1: born, you stood at the gates of heaven, breathing my existence. When I took my first step, you held me up because even though my parents couldn't see it, I was too weak in the knees to do it on my own. When learning how to speak, you taught me the words that I would need to get through this life. Mom, Dad, I need you. At the age of 10, I felt the guilt and shame of my past, felt the dirty hands that made me no longer feel clean. At 13, I started to question where you were in the madness. When seven and alone with him, when 11 and my parents couldn't stand the sight of each other, where were you in my pain and suffering? From that moment on, I decided that since you weren't present in my life, I wouldn't be present in yours. So I pursued my heart, searching for the things that would make me feel whole. I was in control. Or at least that's what I thought. At the age of 15, I awoke from a dream, couldn't see you, but I felt you and I heard you. Daughter, I am here. Daughter, you are mine. Daughter, I have always been there. Daughter, I love you. Well, God, if you love me so much, why'd you let these things happen? Why am I the one crying instead of laughing? When do I get to come out on top? Silence flooded my heart, my head, and my room. I was sure he didn't hear my cry. Days went by and I heard nothing, felt nothing. And then it happened. Someone explains to me that Jesus hung on a tree for me, bleeding and bruised for me, crying out for me, pleading for me, dying for me. But three days later, he would rise again for me, defeat the grave for me, perform miracles for me. He did it all for me. And as tears fell down my face, I was brought to this place on my knees. And Jesus met me. You know, Jesus, I'm sorry that I blamed you are forgiven you know Jesus I'm so sorry that I ran so far away from you you are forgiven Jesus I'm not sure what I'm supposed to do or what I'm supposed to say but please know that I am so sorry you are forgiven I'm not sure how to explain to you my relationship with Jesus how he called out my name when I ran from him how he pursued me when I constantly said no to him how he loved me when I didn't when I couldn't love myself. But I can say this, that he has sought after me with a relentless love, that Jesus met me at my weakest, and that is the moment I became stronger, that Jesus has never changed, but he is always changing me. Jesus changed my life. Whoa, oh, oh. Well, Jesus changed my life. Whoa, oh, oh. Jesus changed her life. Whoa, oh, oh, and I am free. I am free. Oh, I am free.
0: Thanks. Can we give Jared a big hand one more time? Super fun having having these spoken words, these artistic elements in our series, Jesus and You. Everybody say, Jesus and me. Jesus and me. And me. Point to your neighbor and say, Jesus and you. Go ahead, point to your name. Jesus and you. We're family this morning, we're glad that you're here this morning, I need to loosen you up this morning, and so, don't make me go crazy up here, because I can do that. Hey man, we're, we're excited, I'm so thankful for Jaren. If you don't know Jaren... You need to get to know this woman. She entered our campus ministry in Midland, Texas three years ago. And she was a delight to our campus ministry. Absolutely inspirational on how she lives out her life for Jesus. And I just saw her faith. I call her daughter, although it's not a true statement. Uh, She's not my biological daughter. But I call her daughter because she's so special to our family. She comes and watches Benson. And what's amazing about Jared is... Last October, as we were setting out to plant this church, plant Luminous Church, we wanted, um, we desired to get a team together, an outside team together to come to San Antonio, help plant with the campus ministry that's already existing here in San Antonio, Texas. And so what we did is we went around and I asked my good friends and said, hey, would you be willing to go with me and, and, and take a pay cut by half? And sell your house and do all these things to come with me because I think that God is up to something big in San Antonio. And what's amazing about Jerri is she had so much faith that she said yes. And she was one of the first ones on the ground here. In fact, she landed in January. She applied to UTSA. She came to a university where she didn't know anybody. And she said, God, I believe that you're big enough. And I'm going to take a step of faith. And I'm going to go to a place that I've never been and see what you're going to do. It was four months later that we ended up on the ground April 1st. And so I'm proud of Jaron. So can we give Jaron a big hand one more time? For what has done. And I believe that God going to reward your faith tremendously for, for what you've done. I believe he already has. There's been a lot of fruit in your life. We had an incredible service last Sunday. It, it's somewhat anticlimactic today because it was so amazing last Sunday. If you missed it, I'm sorry. But just take my word for it, it was incredible We had a reconciliation service and God did some incredible things If you have your Bibles, I want to um, bring this moment up real quickly 2 Corinthians 5, 18 and 19 If you don't have your Bibles this morning, then you can look on the screen It will be up there Reconciliation, I believe that it is important for us to bring this back up this morning Because you see, reconciliation is not a one-time event it's not a one-time thing. It's not something that we're just going to announce one time in our service. We're not going to just preach Jesus one time at Luminous Church and then be done with it. But we're going to revisit it, and I believe it's so appropriate to line our heart with Paul as he writes to the church of Corinth. In 2 Corinthians five eighteen. it says this, All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. It's the whole goal of Christ. is to restore a relationship with us to the Father, It's why he came, it's why he died, and it's why three days later he conquered death. It's so that you and I could taste God. So that you and I could spend time with God. So that you and I could be friends with God. So that you and I could be in relationship with him. But he didn't just come to be the minister of reconciliation, but he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. He said he actually entrusted it to you. Have you ever had somebody entrust something to you? Maybe their car? Right? Have you ever borrowed your friend's car and they're like, I'm entrusting my car to you. Please don't wreck it. And so how do you know when you're driving your friend's car and if you have any sort of responsibility, you're driving that thing very cautiously, right? I mean, you're not parking next to any cars in the parking lot. You don't want to get dinged up. You don't want to do any of that. You're driving five miles under the speed limit. Now, I know some of you are college students in here, and some of you probably are like, I'm going to hot rod this thing. You know, if Caesar let me borrow his charger, I would probably hot rod that thing as well. Only lend out minivans. That's the rule. But when something's entrusted to you, you value it. When something's entrusted to you, you take responsibility for it. When something's entrusted to you, you you have a sense of responsibility for it. And I hear all the time, Pastor Ben, what is my ministry in life? What am I supposed to do? I love that God clearly answers these questions in his Bible over and over. Your ministry, everybody say my ministry, is reconciliation. Your ministry is to reconcile People, Not to yourself, but to Jesus. To Jesus. If you aren't reconciling people to Jesus, then if you're reconciling them to yourself, I guarantee you that reconciliation, that unity, that love will not last. It will not last. We need something so consistent that can sustain us. So our ministry of reconciliation, it's to go to the broken, to the despair, to the hopeless, to those who are wounded and offended, to those who need hope in their life, and it's to bring them to Jesus. And Jesus is so good at this. It's a perfect introduction this morning to John chapter 10. That's where we'll be this morning. If you have your Bibles, John chapter 10. We've been in these I am statements. There were seven I am statements that Jesus began to speak about through the gospel of John and John wanted humanity to know the deity of Christ that he is God. That's what he wanted mankind to know. And in these I am statements we find amazing things and last week was part one of a part two. This week is a continuation in John chapter 10. John chapter 10, if you have your Bibles, verse one, it says this. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, the man is a thief and a robber. The he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. And then 6 through 10, we talked about last week, I am the door. They didn't understand his first five verses, so then he had to dumb it down for them. How many of you know that sheep are dumb? Sheep are dumb. Sometimes we need to hear things over and over again. It's amazing that in the scripture that people are referred to as sheep over 500 times. It's a little demeaning, Jesus, but I get your point. Let's pick up in verse 11. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. There are several things that I want to pull through the scripture for us this morning. As Jesus is so personal for us, so relatable to us, I I want to dive into this and share some things. On the campus, on the college campus, I did campus ministry for two and a half years. And we used a tool called the God Test. Maybe you heard of this tool. It's just 10 questions to engage somebody in a relationship with God. It's to ask them what they think about God. And on question number three and four, if we have that slide, I love this question right here. This question right here, three and four, it says this. It says, what do you think God expects of you? I love asking this question on the campus. Because you get one or two responses. You get one response of, I don't know. Or you get the second response, most oftentimes, it's to be a good person. How many of you have thought that? What is God expected of you if you were to ask this question? Well, surely it's to be a good person. The follow-up question, I love it because it gets me. I love it. So it says, okay, well, how well are you meeting those expectations? So I want to use this framework, I want some interaction today with the audience because I know you're tired this morning. The clouds are here, it's Christmas time and we want to put our PJs on and go home. Okay, so that framework. If good is the goal, how well are you meeting those expectations? On a scale of one, not meeting them at all, and 10, you're well exceeding them. Go ahead and talk to your neighbor about that. Three, two, one. How many said one? How many said ten? How many were right in the middle of five? That's the indifferent people. It's like, uh, I'm okay, right? <laughs> I love this truth claim because Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The shepherd is good. That's point one. The shepherd is good. This is very important verse right here. I am the good shepherd. The article we have to look at very closely. The and not a. The and not a. I am the good shepherd. Not a good shepherd. I love this statement because it's a truth statement. By Jesus. It's a statement that says, I am, first off, saying, I am God, but I'm even making a claim that I'm God because I'm saying I am good. And the Jews knew that the only one who was completely good was God. So he made a statement, and and every time I come to the college campus and I engage students, no one says 10. And this question of morality, this question of your goodness, no one says 10. How arrogant of a statement to say 10. We always use the term, well, I mean, I didn't kill anybody today, so I guess I'm not bad. And if I'm not bad, well, I'm not completely good, so I'll just use the adjective pretty. I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good. Pretty good person. We use this all the time, but Jesus wasn't saying I'm pretty good, he's saying he is good. And if he's saying he is good to you and me in a personal relationship, what does that mean? He's good because the shepherd leads in front. The shepherd leads in front. That's what a good shepherd does. A few years ago, my, one of my best friends got married, and for his bachelor party, you got to remember, I was a youth pastor, so a lot of my friends are about 10 years younger than me. And so that's why I probably look and act younger than I am. And as I'm hanging out with them on their bachelor party, it was crazy. It was, uh, do whatever ridiculous things you can do and go as crazy as possible. Now, you got to think, I now have a child, or soon to be, I don't remember. But I was not going to do anything crazy, you know? I have value, right? Because my wife values me, and no one values you because you're not in a relationship. Just kidding. (laughs) So they're doing crazy things, stupid things, right? So they're behind boats, dragging themselves with the, with the ropes, seeing how long you can hang on. They're jumping off the boat at 50 miles an hour, doing backflips. They're doing crazy things. I feel very uncomfortable. In fact, at night, I snuck out and I called my wife and I said, I want to come home. <laughs> I'm too vulnerable and I know I'm mortal. I want to come home. Well, to the top off the weekend of craziness, we were going to skydive. I mean, why not? You know, It was already crazy enough, so we were going to go skydive. So we pull up to the skydiving place. It is a field out in the middle of nowhere. And as we pull up, there are donkeys and chickens and cows running around. And the guy driving the plane looked like he came out of the 70s movie. You're like, what is going on here? This is not safe. And so, what did we do? You go. No, you go. No, you go. Who wants to go first? No, you go. You go. You go. Right. And none of us wanted to lead in front. Have you ever been in situations like that where maybe you don't want to lead in front? I love this because uh, Jesus uses the shepherd analogy because over in the Middle East, actually, the shepherds would lead out and the sheep would follow them. They would hear his voice and they would go. They would just. They would just follow him and trail behind. They would let him take the brunt. They would let him go ahead. If trouble were to come, the shepherd would stand in the way of sheep. It's not like Australia where you have sheep dogs who are chasing and scaring the sheep forward. Or maybe have y'all seen the fainting goat video. You know, It's not scaring the goats to death. I mean, the shepherd is good here. He is a good shepherd and he leads in front. He leads in front and he also knows what you're going through at the moment. I love Hebrews 4:14 4, because it says that the Jesus, the High Priest, he can sympathize with our weaknesses because he was tempted in every way. He knows exactly what the sheep are going through. He knows exactly how timid life is. He knows how scary it is. He knows how courage is trying to be ripped away from humanity. So he said, "I'll lead in front." Secondly, the good shepherd is so good because he knows you. He knows you. It's Christmas season. How many of you bought your significant other or your best friend a gift already? How many are still thinking about it? In fact, you've been thinking about it for 330 days now. <laughs> Right? Because if if you're like me, you know, you want to get your significant other something so amazing. You want her to to open that present and her eyes open wide and her be so grateful. And how many know that when you open a gift, it's really hard to fake it? Have you noticed that? I'm the worst faker. If you give me something bad, you're going to know it. So I just don't open gifts in front of people. I'll go, I'll open it later and text you. Right? It's It's just easier that way. It's easier. But if you have that person who's really excited and spent a lot of energy and a lot of time, they want you to open it right there because they know you so well that this gift is going to be perfect. So much pressure. would you hate that pressure? It's crazy. To know is such a complex word. To know that, that, that Jesus knows you is so complex. In the English language, it doesn't even do it justice, right? Because it's, it's so intellectual. It's knowledge-based know. No. How much information do you know? It's, it, it, we can't even conceptualize this word, but in Hebrew and Greek, this word is so much more complex. To know is not just to know information, but it's to know, it's to know emotionally, it's to know personally, it's to know any, um, the Bible uses the word for sexual intimacy. It's to know somebody that well. Know is a powerful word in the Bible, and here Jesus says that he knows you. He knows you. And I think it's only fitting if we turn to Psalm 139 this morning. Psalm 139. And if you have your Bibles, you can turn here. But David basically writes for us how well God knows us. How well he knows us. This is one of the most famous psalms. It's, I mean, for me, it's the highlight of David's psalms. It's, it's one that we can use, and it affirms us, and it's so near to us. And just like Jeremy's spoken word this morning that How personal God is. And David wrote this for the choir director, the music director. And he said, I'm going to write this, what God has shown me about how well he knows humanity. And then I want us to sing that. Because we need to sing it because we quickly forget. Because when pressures of this world happen. When you wonder if, if God forgot you in the holidays because your family didn't call. If you wonder these things, then, then we need to sing Psalm 139 on Sunday morning over and over and over again. That's why we meet. so we would encourage each other as long as today's is called today. Psalm 139, it says, verse 1, Oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up and discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on the tip of my tongue. Behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hit me in behind and before, and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? If I say to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me by night. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day. The days that were formed for me when as yet there were none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God, how vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. He starts this psalm with O Lord. Translation, Yahweh. Translation, I am. I am. And I know you. I know you so personally. See three characteristics of God right here. We see that He is all-knowing, omniscient. He knows everything about me. We see that He is all powerful. He was powerful enough to create me and make me. And we see that He was ever-present. He was ever-present from when you were formed even before you formed until you sleep and go to be home with him. He knows you. I love that God is near. Such a picture of the good shepherd. Whenever somebody calls a mother, let's say Barb, calls Barb and says, a poll asked her questions, and then a poll asked her, how many kids do you have, Bart? Well, she doesn't, and probably wouldn't answer with a number. She would say, well, I have summer, and she's awesome and my firstborn, and I love her so much. And then I have faith, and thank God that we got her married this year, and so I don't have to worry about her Anymore. And then there's, there's Blaze, and Blaze is so athletic and amazing and talented, and the best sound man that Luminous Church has ever had. Let's give it up for Blaze Wood right now. Yes! And there's Cory, the youngest. But we love her because she's so amazing, so talented, and so artistic. And, and of course the pollster would get mad and like, Why are you giving me all these descriptions? I just need a number. And Barb would often reply, Well, they aren't numbers. They're my children. And I think that's what we need to know about God and us. You aren't a number. You're a person. And so when Jesus went after the one and left the 99, he did take count, but he knew the names. He knew the names, and he knew when one of his children were missing. This kind of knowledge... And God knows you this well, brings two things in your mind, maybe in your emotions. It's stinking scary, or it's assurance. It's stinking scary when I'm talking to the guy who hasn't come to church in a long time, and I start telling him about how God loves him and knows him and wants a relationship with him, and he's ever-present, and he knew everything that you're going to do, everything that you're thinking right now. And as I say right now, his eyes get big, and he's like, right now? Hopefully not right now. It can be very scary, or it can be assurance that he knows me, and he loves me. And even though he knows what I'm thinking right now, he accepts me. Let me know He knows what I'm going to think tomorrow and how I'm going to act tomorrow. He wants me. It's an amazing God. The Good Shepherd unites. The Good Shepherd unites. This one can be a sensitive one because have any of you feuded with your family? You don't have to admit it. But holidays are amazing because they bring families together, like we've said. And any the worst of families can sometimes get along while the presents are open. But holidays also bring family feuds. There's also this fighting over the children of who they're going to spend Christmas with this Christmas. There's many things that happen. But Jesus is about uniting in verse 16. And I have other sheep as he was talking to the Jews that are not of this fold. I must bring them also. And you must be okay with that. And they will listen to my voice so there will be one flock and one shepherd. God has been in the business because it's his character to unite people. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are united together in unison. Perfect unison. Never division between those three. And that kind of relationship Jesus is asking of you and me. That we would be in perfect relationship. And and I know that by planting another church in the city, and by having a church down the road, and by having five more churches down the road, that oftentimes the church is divided And denominations and petty doctrine Severs the relationship But there will be a day When all those who place faith in Jesus Will be united There will be a day when the Jews Did not like the Greeks Nor anyone else Rightly so because they were persecuted like crazy but when the Holy Spirit came to the Gentiles, and the Jews realized this promise that He was going to make one flock under one shepherd Jesus, it opened eyes. And people got along that shouldn't get along. And I'm believing that we'll be a church that gets along, that unites. We won't just unite with one another under this roof in this theater. I believe that will happen. I believe it will happen. I believe that when differences come about, we will sort it out by bringing it to Christ. But I also believe that our church will unite with other churches and other people, that this city would know Jesus. They would know Jesus before anything else.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Lastly, the Good Shepherd cares him to death. James 1.6 in the Christmas season, one sixteen I believe. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. I believe, he's talking about many gifts, but the ultimate gift this Christmas is Jesus. And I don't want you to forget that. Next week, we're going to talk about Emmanuel, God with us. The ultimate gift is Jesus. And the worship team would come and help me close this out this morning. I want us to set our affections on Jesus this morning. And if you would, stand with me this morning as we close in song. Jesus was given perfectly for you and me. It's why Christmas is so important. We wonder that. We wonder why, why would Christmas be so important with this baby being born? It's because it was a fulfillment of promises for years before the gift was coming. And the gift is for you and me. And the turnaround in the plot is this is that this gift we don't open, but it actually opens us? The gift of Jesus opens you and me. And I'm so thankful that Jesus came and He lived, and He died, and He rose again. So all this all I want this Christmas and all I want for our church and all I want for you is Jesus. I hope you want him too. Will you pray with me? Father, we love you this morning.